What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Rotosauce Podcast. This is episode 119, and we're going back to the Gridiron Throne. I'm your host, Greg Sauce. On the line, Jeff Dumont. Jeff, welcome back, man. The Battle of Winterfell was quite a doozy, man. We got a lot to talk about with that. We're going to do some football stuff first. Uh, we got to talk about the draft. How, how did you uh, How did you consume the draft this year? What was uh, your process? Were you following, like, were you watching it live? Were you following on your phone? Like, uh, give me that little run through real quick. Yeah, I was mainly on my phone, I think. Yeah, it's weird how we consume it nowadays. Um, I was at a casino, go figure. But um, but I was watching like the first 10 picks or so right before in-game. And uh, after that, I was just constantly on my phone while I was trying to watch in-game. It was like nonsense. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. Between that and Twitter, like... Like you don't really need a TV anymore, right? <laughs> Twitter is definitely one of my favorite ways to experience anything live these days, at least as like a complimentary, yeah. you know, device or experience, right? Where you're, you know, watching the game. Like sometimes, like the announcers on a professional sports game can be so bad that you'd almost rather just mute them and turn on like the radio broadcast or listen to some music while you watch, or <laughs> just yeah, mute it and like flip through Twitter as the game's going on. I uh, yeah, I totally identify with that. Now, while you're at this casino, did they have a sportsbook did you make any bets on the outcome of the draft <laughs> no man i wish i'm back in california now and they are totally against that so i was playing a little bit of poker on the side a little bit of one two limit for like super low buy-in so just to pretty much watch the game they have good food there too something like good mexican food at a casino <laughs> good deal man yeah i mean that sounds great uh, a little bit of poker a little bit of nfl draft and some some mexican food uh sign Hell me yeah. up for that any day man I miss Nevada. I miss Vegas so much, though, man. I, I used to gamble so much on every game. It was so good. It was be- better for me than back in California. <laughs> well, I don't know if you would have made bets on the outcome of this year's draft, but we got to talk about just the winners and losers, or from a fantasy perspective. And I, I don't know where do you want to start here. Who stood out to you as a, a winner or a loser? We could talk about incoming rookies. We could talk about, yeah. uh, you know, veteran players. Like, where do you want to go first? I'll start with a rookie. I'll start at the very top of the draft. Tyler Murray, man, that is a huge winner. He's a number one pick overall. He got all those wide receivers. He's in the air raid offense with Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, Isabella. And they got Christian Kirk coming back. They got Keyshawn Johnson, Hickey Murray. Uh, pretty much if you like Russell Wilson, like, I think Tyler Murray is going to be a poor man's Russell Wilson right away. I, I really think he could be like a QB1 this year. He's like a top 12 QB probably, <laughs> it, like, like at least in the second half of the, of the year. That's my that's my hot take. What, what do we say to the the god of hot takes? <laughs> <laughs> Not today, Jeff. Not today. Damn it. I mean, t- tied in to that, actually, I had David Johnson as a winner coming out of the draft because they have yes. the new QB, the new system. All these other receiving options are going to hopefully help open things up for DJ. You know, assuming that the Cardinals moves to improve their offensive line over the offseason pan out, and yeah. that's a pretty big if at this point. But I think that David Johnson's outlook has to be a lot better coming into 2019 based upon all that yeah. stuff you were just talking about with Murray and everything else that they did, uh, especially in the draft, just to make that offense more exciting. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see how that plays out. That's going to be a really interesting division with them, the Niners hopefully improving, and the Seahawks you know, theoretically hanging around as well. For sure. I, I like David Johnson quite a bit. He's like a hell of a value this, this year, for sure. I agree I with know you. you're not a McCaffrey guy. Would you draft McCaffrey or David Johnson first? I think I might go with David Johnson now. With that offense, I mean, it's just pure high scoring now. I mean, yeah, I think I would. And if you were a betting man, which we have established that you are, uh, who would you pick to win the NFC West? NFC West winner? It's, oh God, I'm the biggest Niners homer, but the Rams probably still have to be 
I mean, if I'm getting odds, I mean, the Niners are going to be like three to one odds. I would take three to one, but uh, the Rams are going to win the division, I think. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I would put my money on the Rams as well, but I, I don't know, man. There isn't a great track record for Super Bowl losers. It would not surprise yeah. me if the Niners did, uh, you know, pull that out. They do seem like a better value to me. I don't know what the odds are either, but I, I like that take. But I'm also a, a glorious homer, just like you. Uh, but I mean, just in general, I, I'm really excited to see how that division plays out this year, because like I said, all those teams yeah. have something at least interesting, if not fully exciting going on. Um, yeah. Tying into sure. the Cardinals situation, uh, I want to get to one of my losers from the NFL draft and Ryan Fitzpatrick, man. We saw Josh Rosen get traded from Arizona to Miami. We assumed that Fitzmagic was going to have that gig to himself, at least if he was going to compete with anybody, it would have been an incoming rookie. And we knew that the rookies that the Dolphins might end up with probably weren't going to be ready to push him in year one. But having Rosen come in there is the complete opposite of that. Like Rosen got experience starting last year. I mean, if the Dolphins are serious, they should probably have him starting ahead of Fitzpatrick anyway. Now, depending upon what level of tanking they want to go to, maybe they (laughs) will mess around with the playing time there. I would not be surprised if they do that. But still, Fitzpatrick has to be considered a loser based upon what we saw happen with this Rosen trade, right? Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they're going to give the keys to the car to Josh Rosen. It's his team now. Fitzpatrick, I could see him starting possibly the first week or two, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's all Rosen now. I mean, what a value. The very end of the second round for a top 10 QB last year. Like a lot of people were saying Josh Rosen, if he was in this year's class, he would have been the best quarterback, you know, uh, overall. You know, so, uh, yeah, into the second round. I mean, I mean, it's it's all about his heart and uh, how much does he love football. I mean, if he's into it, I mean, they, they have their franchise QB for a second rounder. It's like Jimmy G all over again for the Niners. Who do you think would be better for the other pieces in that Miami offense? I, I would probably say Fitzpatrick, but do you think Rosen would be more helpful to them from a fantasy perspective? I would say Fitzpatrick too because he takes so many chances. I mean, he's pure fantasy gold. He loves like going downfield. He doesn't care about interceptions nearly as much. But uh, Rosen will be more consistent for a longer period of time. At least that's the plan. But yeah, Fitzmagic is always uh, pure golden fantasy when he's on. <laughs> We've talked about Rosen as a very undervalued asset heading into the draft and just understanding that whatever happened, he was either going to get traded or left in Arizona. Like if the whole Kyler Murray thing was a smokescreen, he would have still been the starter there. And sure enough, Rosen's value has gone way up, especially from like a dynasty perspective. But I did see some stuff... Uh, you know, after like during the draft again on Twitter, I was following along there as well. Uh, one uh, interesting tweet from Connor Allen at Connor Allen NFL had a a filter on Pro Football Reference of the worst adjusted net yards per attempt to the best for um, rookies or, or guys hoping for a bounce back year. And it was not a pretty list. Things do not look good for Josh Rosen. Let's let's put it that way. Uh, the best case scenario is you're kind of hoping for maybe like a Jared Goff level of bounce back. And we don't really know if Josh Rosen is going to have the same sort of supporting cast and coaching upgrade that Goff did. So I would say don't expect big changes for Rosen overnight. It, there is a possibility that what happened to him in 2018 might have you know damaged him or set him back to some extent. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, to become, like, he was a potential number one overall pick. I remember when I was living in Vegas, he was in high school there at the time, and they were, they were calling him Chosen Rosen, and and, and he, he he actually fell to the number 10 overall pick. So there's something going on behind the scenes for him to be sold off the very next year for the end of the second round. They're taking There's obvious upside there, and, you know, it's a risk-reward thing, but uh, 
but yeah, he has no McVeigh like like uh, like uh, Goff had. So so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's gonna be tough for him. He's gonna really wanna want it pretty much. Who's another uh, winner or loser for you from the draft? Um, speaking of when we, the Niners podcast, I love uh, Jimmy G now. The Niners offense got a lot better with uh, Debo Samuel. I mean, he's he looks like a like a poor man's Antonio Brown. Like that guy, like goes and gets the ball. Like he's thick. Uh, I mean, and pair him up with Dante Pettis, who's kind of like a poor man's uh, Keenan Allen. I mean, that those are two slot, slot receivers that could land up outside too. So, and uh, Jalen Hurd was a pretty good pick for the Niners too in the third round. A lot of people think that um, it was kind of a, a reach, you know. But he's six foot five. He he's a, like a gadget guy, you know. He, he can play running back and wide receiver. He's the only guy with size now in that offense. So I don't know that uh, Shanahan offense is gonna be really freaking good. And uh, I mean, Jimmy G is still like QB twenty two. You know, that's insane. He's gonna be a top ten QB this year. I really think. I agree with you that Garoppolo goes up in value, although I would posit the hypothesis that perhaps it's not great to have the poor man's this and the poor man's that <laughs> all across the field. Like, I've seen comparisons for Debo Samuel to Golden Tate as well. Um, so, yeah. again, that's kind of like the ceiling you're hoping for, I think. Yeah. Debo, I think he could be better than Pettis. That's for sure. Debo might, I think he's going to be the number one wideout pretty soon, probably and this I, year. That's what I was going to say. I was, I was going to spin this a different way and say that one of the losers for me was Dante Pettis and then maybe to a lesser extent Marquise Goodwin. Just having yeah. Debo Samuel come in there and providing more competition for targets, that doesn't help the receivers who are already in San Francisco. Uh, based upon that physical profile you talked about for Jalen Hurd, he might actually be more likely to cannibalize the targets of like George Kittle as a kind of yeah. big bodied uh, go up and get it type of threat. Uh, but that does seem unlikely to me, uh, even even though, you know, Kittle is probably likely to regress anyway, just based upon how great right. he was last season. Like there's really not a great chance of him repeating what he did in 2018 again. But, I mean, he should still be good, if not great, as a tight end. Just probably not as good as he was last year. But, yeah, I agree. Uh, the... The Niners' offense is looking up, but uh, some of those receivers, I think, take a hit. What else you got? I got uh, Lamar Jackson, too. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were saying who could be a winner of of um, the NFL draft. And uh, for them to get two uh, receivers as good as Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, and Miles Boykin, boy, and they both have a lot of speed, a lot of athletes now on that offense. I mean, they're really forming uh, that offense around Lamar Jackson's skills. Uh, they also got Justice Hill, at running back, uh, later on, I think, fourth round. He could be real good too. I mean, Ingram still could be the main guy over there, but uh, that that uh, Ravens offense, pretty much, I mean, they have to defenses are going to have to respect the pass now. And if you just respect the pass just a little bit, Lamar Jackson can kill you on the ground. So he's another guy with that cheat code, with the Konami code. That uh, you know, I mean, his his ceiling is QB one overall. I mean, not even kidding. He's, he could be a better version of Michael Vick. So we'll see. We'll see. I always look back to last year's draft and how pissed off Lamar Jackson was. When he got taken at the very end of the first round, and uh, I could tell he's going to have a chip on his shoulder throughout his whole uh, NFL career. So I, I like Lamar quite a bit. He made my list of uh, winners as well, but I, I had it as Lamar Jackson? Question mark. Uh, <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. Let, let me put it this way: like Marquise Brown, Miles Boykin, Justice Hill, all three of those guys are burners. Like, and at, at the very least. I understand the theory around how the Ravens are trying to support Jackson. I think that that makes sense. You know, put these other speedy guys around Jackson, surround him with ridiculous burst everywhere, and that way he can leverage his own game-changing speed. You know what I mean? Like, I think that makes a lot of sense, is if you have to worry about all these guys breaking away at any moment, including the quarterback... If, if the Ravens use enough misdirection, they can open up big plays on a more consistent basis because the defense doesn't know what's coming and they can't cover everybody. I get it. 
my concern here is one that was you know prevalent with Marquise Brown going into the draft that he is tiny. He is like an Oompa Loompa out mm-hmm. there, like except less built. You know what I mean? It's like a skinny Oompa Loompa. For sure. And yeah. so I don't know if I trust him to hold up and Lamar Jackson to hold up and, you know, all these other things to go right. And so while I see the the approach as being a sound one, I do worry that this offense might be a little overrated just because this team might not really be prototypical enough from a football standpoint. And, I, and believe me, I do not want to mm-hmm. be the guy who's like pounding the table for, you know, oh, we have to do it the way it's always been done. but. <laughs> At the same time, like, there are reasons that those physical thresholds in draft evaluation exist, right? It's yeah. really uncommon for these small and slight guys to last in the NFL because they take a lot of hits, they take big hits, and, you know, the athletes in the NFL keep getting faster and stronger all the time, and you have to be, you know, physically ready to handle that. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's a new NFL now. I mean, it's a pure air raid, college-style offense everywhere. Look at Baker Mayfield last year and and, uh, and and Kyler Murray this year. And it's kind of scary that uh, that Baltimore was running, like, two-thirds of the time. They were, like, turning back the clock to, to, the, to the 50s, you know. So I understand, yeah, for sure. But uh, a lot of the rules really do favor those receivers. I think Marquise's, Marquise Brown's A dot will be really like two yards. You know, he's going he's gonna to be a glorified running back. He's going to, you know, get a lot of uh, quick passes, you know. Yeah, and that is my other concern with that offense is what happens if they fall behind? Are they going to be able to pick up, you know, those chunk plays as often as they need to to play catch up? And yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It's going to be a fascinating team to watch and right. I'm rooting for Lamar Jackson cuz I mean, I'm with you. Like I think he should have a chip on his shoulder. I I would have right. a chip on my shoulder if I was in his shoes. So <laughs> another thing I like I like about Lamar Jackson, he has two ascending tight ends. I mean, Hayden Hurst was selected in the first round last year, and they have, uh, Mark Andrews. So, I mean, they just have even more targets, all very young. So, I don't know. I, I think all the pieces are aligning. Totally. Yeah, I think I think the potential is absolutely there for him to be a winner coming out of this draft. I just yeah. am curious to see if it actually plays out that way. Uh, for sure. Another, another winner fun. for me, I'm going to stick at quarterback. This is a, a two-quarterback league-centric podcast, of course. Uh, Matt Ryan. Atlanta used their first two picks on their offensive line. They took a guard, uh, Chris Lindstrom, and a tackle, Jamon Brown. And that was after extending Ty Sombrello, Sombrello, Brielo. (laughs) I I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sorry, Ty. Something Um, like that. (laughs) And the Falcons signed two other guards earlier this year in free agency. But the real reason I think Ryan gains value is how the Falcons didn't do much to address the defensive side of the ball in the draft. Yeah, they're right. they're counting on being healthier on that side of the ball in 2019, which shouldn't be hard considering how dinged up they were in 2018. But the football gods are fickle, man. If the Atlanta defense <laughs> struggles again, Matt Ryan is going to have to keep slinging it. And yeah. at, at, on the positive side, at least he should have more protection when he's doing that. So I think that because yeah. the Falcons didn't go out and fix their defense, that actually makes Matt Ryan a better fantasy asset because he's probably going to have to continue to throw at a high volume, which has been the case over the past three years. So no surprise, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Falcons games having over-unders of 60-plus. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of shootout- shootouts. It's funny, the very next guy on my list was Devontae Freeman because yep. they got those two offensive linemen and they did not select their running back in the least of the first four or five picks. I mean, they got a guy later, but I don't think he's going to really be competing with Freeman. But uh, yeah, Devontae, he was one on our both of our bus lists going into the draft, and uh, yeah, it's looking good for him. Right. Looks like he'll have one more year RB2 value, probably. And yeah, I, I'm totally with you on Freeman. He didn't make my list because I knew I was going to talk about Matt Ryan. Um, right. But let's push this the other way and go to a running back who lost value. I mean, we have to call out Todd Gurley here, right? Like, the Rams yeah. traded up to take one of the best rookie running back prospects 
in the draft. Yeah. We mm-hmm. know that Gurley's dealing with injury issues. He's had injury issues in the past. Like, this is a huge red flag, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, huge red flag. Seriously. He was getting beat out by CJ freaking fat-ass Anderson. Daryl Henderson, Henderson could have been the best running back in the draft. Yeah, huge red flag. He, he has to slide to the second round now. Where, where would you take Todd Gurley right now if you were drafting? <laughs> right now, <laughs> like, I'm just not drafting him. I would draft somebody right. else. Yeah, I mean, let, but, let I mean, somebody else. Name recognition. It'll go in the first round. Some some idiot will take him. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and it might not be that bad of a pick if you wait long enough. So, I mean, I could understand the appeal of, you know, getting him at the beginning of the second or in the middle of the second if he really slides that far. But I just, I don't know. I'm not the type of person who wants to take that sort of risk with my first round pick or my second round pick yeah. for the most part. Now, in a certain format, maybe like a best ball scenario where it's like first or nothing, then sure, if you get Gurley in the second round to pair with, you know, some other stud running back that you got in the first round, like, I get it. Like, that that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of potential upside there. But for me, like, at a base level, if I'm trying to build, like, a consistently winning team for a seasonal league, I'm just not touching Gurley right now. Now, as the offseason plays out, as we get better reports of him being healthy or not being healthy, we get to see, yeah. hopefully, him take some preseason snaps, which... By me, by no means is a foregone conclusion. Like we might just not see him at all in the preseason, uh, mm-hmm. but hopefully we'll get some indication of how healthy he is. And uh, once that starts to crystallize, we'll understand where we can draft him. But for now, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not touching him. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. They're gonna baby him. They're, they're like he's like the new Warriors. They're they're just gonna take a lot of you know. He's probably gonna get about 15 touches or 15 carries maybe a game. I mean, I could still see him getting over a thousand yards, but I mean, no, no more twenty touchdown season with almost two thousand total yards. That, that's just out the door. I think it's going to be like a two to one ratio, uh, split ratio. I mean, uh, I think Daryl Henderson is going to get at least, at least ten touchdown t- touches per game. So yeah, Gurley, huge red flag right now. Unless he, if, if you can get him into the second round, yeah, you're going to get value. But I doubt he's ever going to go that far. Totally. Yeah, another running back group that I think lost value here is that of the Eagles. Uh, They drafted one of the other best running back prospects, Miles Sanders, uh, Mm -hmm. and they paid a pretty hefty price to do it. You know, he went 53rd overall, so the Eagles clearly are going to use him. My question is, how much are they going to use him versus Jordan Howard, versus Josh Adams, versus... uh, Who's the other guy they got there? Smallwood, Sproles, or the... I think it's Sproles retire. Corey Clement. uh, I think... The, the whole point is that, listen to all these names that I'm rattling off. Yeah. Like, even <laughs> if Sanders so is good, if, if even if Sanders is efficient, is he going to yeah. get the volume we need for him to be reliable in fantasy? I'm not sure I see it. Uh, so with that in mind, like, I'm mostly just concerned about all the running backs in this backfield. But yeah. I don't know. Sanders, <laughs> from what I've read, is a much more complete running back than almost yeah. all these other guys that they have. And with that in mind, maybe he does take that job and run with it. Like in a dynasty league, yeah. I think you can justify taking Sanders in the top three or four or five. Uh, but in you know seasonal, I think that you have to be a little bit more skeptical because it might take him a while to carve out that role for Philadelphia. Yeah, absolutely. I. I... I mean, yeah, he has to beat out a lot of guys, but I do love Miles Sanders' skill set. He couldn't have ended up in a better situation. That offense is absolutely elite. And all those running backs that you named off, they're not very good. They're all practice squad jags. And Jordan Howard has never been very good. All those guys are not good. Miles Sanders has a, a true three-down skill set. And I can see him if there's a, there's a lot of hype going into the season that he's gonna you know be the the bell cow or the main guy getting 20 touches a week he's gonna get he's gonna be like a fourth round pick 
you know, he's going to get a lot of helium like Darius Geist did last year before he went down. So I don't know. I, I kind of really like him. I'm going to have a lot of shares of him in best balls for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that the big hurdle we have to get over with Sanders is that assumption of rational coaching. And here's, yeah. here's what I mean. Like, I think that NFL teams are actually incentivized to have a bell cow back, a back who can play in any role or situation, a guy who can catch passes, a guy who can run the ball out of the backfield, up the middle, uh, you know, to the sidelines, like that sort of flexibility with the player allows you to do more misdirection to confuse your opponent in more meaningful ways. Whereas if they put Darren Sproles out there, chances are Darren Sproles is either catching a pass or he's blocking. Like that's a passing down mm -hmm. back and it telegraphs what the offense wants to do. Now, in general, we know that most offenses want to be passing all the time anyway, so playing a guy like Darren Sproles isn't as much of a hindrance as it is when you're playing a guy like Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard is a legit problem. Like You put him on the field, and it's clear that he's not going to get the ball in the mm -hmm. passing game. Like Either they're handing it off to him, or he's going to stay in to pass protect or whatever. Like the, Yes, he's yeah. going to run some number of routes, but he is not a good enough receiver for opposing defenses to really be afraid of him. And so with that in mind... If Miles Sanders is a true three-down type of back, the Eagles are incentivized to use him in that way, to use him in all sorts of situations, to use him a lot, so that the opposing defenses are kept guessing. And I hope that's how they see it. I hope that's how it works out. We will see. It'll be fun. It reminds me a lot of the Lions last year with LeGarrette Blunt and Carryon Johnson, yes. except for Miles Sanders, I think it's better than Carryon, and he's in a better offense. So the upside is huge. And LeGarrette Blunt and Jordan Howard are the same person, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good situational comp. I don't know if the players yeah. necessarily line up the same way, but um, yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah. cool. Do you have any other winners or losers from the NFL draft? I have a few. Um, uh, Ronald Jones, we were talking about that a couple weeks ago. They didn't. They only addressed the defense in Tampa, and uh, he's with good reason. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They might want to win a couple games. Yeah, their their offense is. is is pretty good and they, they did not add to the running backs whatsoever so jones obviously has uh, the skill set of an elite runner with how fast he is so if he can learn how to like i don't know pass block or catch a few balls he could be a real steal so jones got lucky in this draft and uh, i like uh, the redskins whole offense too um with haskins under center they got the ohio state wide receiver mclaurin i think uh, so I think in the second half, the Redskins are going to be a real sneaky fantasy team with Haskins and Darius Geis, um, leading that offense. So, and a lot of people are going to be overlooking him uh, during draft day. Yeah. I mean, you've talked a little bit, uh, with Washington and with uh, another team earlier about the second half and how you think that those offenses are going to be good as these players mm -hmm. develop. I don't know if you can wait that long in fantasy anymore. I think that the way that <laughs> rosters get churned through, that if you're banking on someone being good in the second half, you might be doing it wrong. But that's just me. Yeah. The way I construct my, I mean, like, if you ain't first, you're last. Even in my season-long leagues, I expect to be there, you know? I want I want the upside. I want my team to, ab to absolutely peak in weeks 14, 15, and 16. So that that's why I'm more willing to take chances on guys like Darius Geis. Or in a 2QB league, I might get Haskins. So that's the only reason. It's just because I'm trying to hit that home run. If I'm not going to get first place, I want to finish in 12. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So yeah. the last winner I have is yet another quarterback, Marcus Mariota. And I've brought him oh, yeah. up on the show a couple times. Going, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I can't get away from this guy. I think I'm just like locked into <laughs> being a Mariota truther at this point. But getting A.J. Brown, the wide receiver, uh, rounds out that position group in Tennessee to go along with Corey Davis. They have Adam Humphreys. They have Taewon Taylor. 
it's it's kind of no excuses left at this point for Mariota. Uh, yeah. assu- assuming health, of course. The Titans also drafted a guard, Nate Davis, to bolster their offensive line. I think that there are signs that this could be a bounce back for Mariota, and he's just so damn cheap. Like that's the thing I yeah. can't get away from. Is like you look at where he's going in ADP, and it doesn't matter even if he's not that good. He's going to have enough weeks to return value on where he's going, and. For a seasonal league, I, I'm definitely going to be interested now in a best ball league where you kind of want maybe more consistent production or higher peaks of production. Maybe Mariota isn't the best pick. I, I got a lot of pushback when I was tweeting about Mariota being a value in QB29 <laughs> during the draft, but I'm talking about from a redraft perspective, people, not from like right. best ball or whatever. But <laughs> it's anyway. QB29. QB29, yeah. what do you expect? Totally. If he's just there on the field for 16 games, he'll be a top 20 QB. <laughs> right. He's, he's your QB3 if you're drafting him there anyway. And so right. all you need are probably three or four usable weeks from him to be good in that situation. So I, I, I see him as a very intriguing value opportunity where he's going. And I, I like that they got another receiver. I like that the O-line's getting better. Yep. My biggest concern with him is just how much they're going to let him throw. If they really want this to be the Derrick right. Henry show, then that's that's the real fatal flaw in Mariota's outlook, I think. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. Um, AJ Brown couldn't have um, complimented uh, Corey Davis any better. I, I like those two receivers. They still have Delaney Walker too, right? I think. And I don't know. I, I, that offense is, is going to be good. It's going to be good. I mean, uh, at QB thirty, you know, around QB twenty eight, whatever. That's just amazing value. And yeah. I don't think they're getting, they can't give it to Derrick Henry. You know, plotter that you know is not going to catch the ball. They're not going to give it to him more than like two hundred thirty times. I'd imagine. At the very <laughs> least, we're getting four shootouts with Indy and Houston. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Everything else is gravy. I was watching the draft at one point, and uh, Reggie Wayne came up, and they were in Nashville. And he's all like, what, uh, in the last uh, 10 years, what do you want, like two two or three wins out of the last 20 games? (laughs) Everyone started booing the shit out of him. It was great. So, yeah, Tennessee is uh, probably going to beat the shit out of uh, any one of these games. (laughs) We'll see. Hey, uh, that's all I got for winners and losers. You got any more before we move on to Thrones? I got one more. Uh, speaking of Reggie Wayne, go figure. Um, the the, uh, the Colts receiver that they took, Paris Campbell. I mean, yes. he's going to be. He looks very good, very very good. It reminds me of Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne all over again with Peyton Manning way back in the early two thousands. Was that late nineties? No, it was early two thousands. Uh, but yeah, Campbell it couldn't have uh, landed in a better situation, just like uh, Miles Sanders. So yeah, go go Cam- uh, Campbell. Yeah, can't disagree <laughs> with that. Uh, yeah, Paris Campbell definitely very intriguing. They're receiving passes from Andrew Luck. Let's talk Thrones, and we've done comparisons of Thrones characters to NFL players, to NFL coaches, and this week we're going to start with NFL general managers, and I don't really have like person-to-person comparisons this time, this time around, but I do just want to talk about which characters from the Game of Thrones universe you think would be good at running an organization, and I, I'm just going to throw out some no-brainers up front, like Tywin yeah. Lannister. Peter Baelish, Lady Elena, these like scheming heads of their houses. All three of them know how to like wheel and deal, working in the background to set up advantageous situations, you know, against the other houses that they're competing with for lands and gold and all that good stuff. And all three of them are just merciless in cutting ties with those mm-hmm. houses when they need to, to advance their positions. So I think that those are the three kind of no brainer ones that I came up with as general managers uh, in the Game of Thrones universe. Did you have any others, Jeff? Yeah, I love that, especially uh, the Queen of Thorns. I mean, she's always been the smartest person in the room, and uh, yeah, she she'd be a pretty good GM. My uh, my one, I have one, and uh, I picked them as a coach too. But Tyrion, I think Tyrion would be a great GM. 
specifically for, for the episode in season uh, two, I think, when he had three different marriage proposals for Marcella. He told uh, Littlefinger that he's gonna. He was what he was trying to figure out who's who was Cersei's informant, and I feel like this is like as a GM, it's kind of like trade offers, you know, yeah. to see who's bluffing and whatnot. That's perfect. So the three, yeah. The, so the three proposals were, uh, I think, for, to uh, to Littlefinger, he said he's gonna marry Marcella off to Robin Aaron, for, uh, and then he brought Varys in the room, and he said he he's gonna um, his plan was for Theon Greyjoy, and then for Pycelle. He said Tristane, Tristane, Prince Tristane of Dorne. And uh, Pycelle ended up being the one that was ratting on him, pretty much. And it's kind of funny because that plan actually came into effect. <laughs> I was laughing. I was like, oh, she is going to Dorne. All right. So, uh, yeah, Tyrion as a GM, uh, I think is pretty smart. He's the clever, He used to be the cleverest person in the show. He might still be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. Um, a couple yeah. other ones I'll throw out, just pure aesthetic ones, kind of like that, where, you know, something from the show made you think of, like, certain types of GMs. Uh, I think Duran Martell, uh, the, oh, yeah. the guy in the wheelchair uh, down in Dorne, just hanging out in the water gardens all the time. Like the water gardens to me feel like the Game of Thrones equivalent to like an owner's box. Like just yeah. super plush, <laughs> just kind of sitting back, watching how things unfold from, you know, in your safe space. And it turned out it wasn't that safe for Duran Martell in the end, but uh, he came to <laughs> mind for me. And then the last one I'll throw out is uh, Old Man, uh, the, the lady who like kind of helped raise the Stark kids, uh, yes. and told them old stories. Like I could just imagine her like telling, reveling in these old stories about how the game used to be played. You know what I mean? Back in my day, you know, we, there was no forward pass and there were ice spiders everywhere. Like I, that, that kind of connected for me. I don't know why I'm, I'm a weird person. What can I say? is the old school gm that had to get fired in like the early 2000s uh, maybe i want the end of game of thrones to actually be in the eye of a blue-eyed giant like you said i was like the very last thing is just like a big old giant walking away <laughs> just walking away like, yeah, like the hulk the, the end of an old hulk episode <laughs> yeah right <laughs> oh man all right so let's talk about episode three the battle of winterfell it was actually called it was uh, the, the Long Night. Long yeah, The night. Long Night. That's right. Yeah. And it was a long episode, at the very yes. least. Um, and there was a lot of hype built up around this, right? Gr- longest battle sequence in cinematic history, 82 minutes or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I just want to start off, Jeff, by asking you, do you feel like this episode lived up to the hype for you? Yeah, I I absolutely think it, it did. Uh, a lot of people are hating on it on the internet, but I think it was amazing. What else do you expect? You had dragon on dragon uh, combat like flying in the air you had uh viserion and his uh his his blue uh flames going like through his neck and up to his side that was badass i don't know lots of uh lots of emotional moments and deaths uh yeah it was it was great i loved it so what do you think i haven't really been looking at the the feedback i didn't realize there was backlash to it but i have i have some bones to pick so count me in the chorus of people who have some shit to talk um (laughs) I, I had to turn up my brightness. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> first things first. Uh, I, I do. I do. I did like the episode. Um, but yep. with that said, I think that the constant like check-in montages on all the characters, while necessary, were still a little bit cheesy. You know, they do this like tracking shots through the battle, and it'd be like, oh, and there's Brienne. She's still alive. Yeah. Oh, and there's Pod. He's barely alive. Oh, Sam's you know cowering like underneath a, a dead white, like crying. And, yeah somehow still surviving like just that kind of constant like don't worry this one's still this guy's still here this lady's still around like i i was like some of that felt force-fed to me um my other nitpick is i just would have liked to see a few more surprises like i feel like 
a lot yeah. of our predictions that we made in previous episodes and a lot of the predictions that the you know Game of Thrones fan community at large made really came to fruition here and in obvious ways. I mean, at the very least, don't blatantly telegraph Arya's finishing move on the Night King. Like, I know. <laughs> they, they spoiled that for me halfway through the episode, and I was like, right. like, where's the value in that? Like, I get it. Like, you want the people who were really paying attention to glean some sort of insight from that, but I feel like they could have dialed it back, like, 75% and just had that interaction between Melisandre and Arya be a little bit less obvious as to hey now you should go kill the night king you know what i mean yeah seriously like you will shut out what is it, the green eyes brown eyes the blue eyes and, i love all the callbacks and wink wink nod nod wink, nudge. Wink, yeah. how's your uncle blue eyes she runs out of the room it, it, you don't see her for 30 minutes like where's aria hmm. <laughs> they hung on that blue eyes line so hard it's yeah. like come on like don't right. make it so fucking obvious like yeah. well, <laughs> is that what people are complaining about? Because that was the thing that bugs me the most. Uh, I've seen people complain about that. Yeah, definitely. I think it was mainly the lighting and nobody understanding what the hell was going on. But yeah, I, I loved it. It was a Game of Thrones episode. D&D and the after, like they had like the, the 15, 20 minute, like little after talk that they talk about it. They were specifically doing that, breaking up the action because they thought it would become mundane or just be like too much of just war. You know, so that's why... That's why they had to cut to each character and have like kind of calm scenes in between. But yeah, I, I can see, I can see the hate. I, I was sure. fine with all that. I, like I said, I feel like that yeah. those check-in montages were necessary. You had to do that just because fans care about different characters, right? Like I care about certain yeah. characters more than others, and then those other people are going to care about characters that I don't care as much about. And yeah. so they they have to service everybody. I get it. Uh, I feel like it it was a little overdone. That that wasn't a big deal. The telegraphing of Arya killing the Night King. Yeah was that was that was ridiculous bad. yeah i did not like that but i think that's the big issue everyone had everyone had their own theories everyone's like like i said last week i'm like the night king's gonna go to the king's landing obviously and it was so straightforward like you said it was right on the nose just everyone coming to king's landing what, what i didn't understand the only family gripe that i had is why is the night king such a showman like he's so cocky <laughs> <laughs> everybody has to wait and watch him like he had to kill brendan rivers himself like, any one of those thousands of walkers in white could have just killed Bran, you know? But no, no, he has to wait and, and wait for uh, Arya to go and stab him in the back. I, I did not understand that. <laughs> okay, so that brings me to my next question for you. And I'm going to ask the question and then give my own answer first. So stand by, yeah, Jeff. Okay. Uh, <laughs> cool. What, what are your biggest unanswered questions from this episode? The first one for me and the big one for me is where slash when was Bran off third-eyeing while he was waiting for the Night King to arrive in the Godswood? Like, what was he doing with his eyes all whited out there. Was he meddling in the past? Was he looking at the future? Was he just following around people with ravens like it showed in the beginning? Like, that was unclear to me. Like, and they didn't give us, give us any inkling of what he was trying to do or what he was looking at. And that, that bothered me a little bit. I understand that they're probably trying to save some mystery of his character for these final three episodes. But that's the biggest unanswered question for me. Uh, do you have any others? Yeah, that was my thing. My, my answer to this is Brand's in-game question mark. Um, yeah, where the hell was he? he? Decided just to go on the internet as soon as the walkers are coming up to him. Like Theon, Theon was a badass, by the way. Talking about hitting as a hero like that, he held the fort down. But yeah, what, um, I think that there, the Brand's storyline isn't finished. I think I don't know something's going on. Maybe he does have to be the Night King. I don't know. Um, like what what purpose now is the Three Eyed Raven other than a history machine essentially? <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big thing. Brand's entire story arc is is real interesting. Um, 
I, I was wondering, um, are the dragons okay? <laughs> yeah, that was oh another God. one of mine too. I, I'm, I'm. Can we assume that Rhaegal and Ghost are both still alive? Like we saw Ghost charge yeah. into that, like with the flaming sword, uh, Dothraki in the beginning, right. and then we saw some of those characters like Jorah and a handful of Dothraki come running back in retreat. But we didn't yeah. see the wolf come back, did we? No, no, no. I didn't, he, at least I didn't see it. I only saw it once last night because it was so long. I usually watch it over again. But no, I didn't see. It. I think they show Ghost. I believe in the upcoming episode for next week. So a Ghost should be alive, and I think both the dragons are also alive. But I don't know, man. Drogon got stabbed like fifty times. There was like fifty or seventy-five walkers on him, or her wife on him, and uh, I don't know. I thought he was going down for a second. And John's dragon, I mean, oh my god, Rhaegal, like, he, he looked like he had a pretty bad crash landing, too. <laughs> they didn't show him after. Yeah, so. my my fear, my assumption is that both the dragons are still alive, and that yeah. Ghost is probably still alive. I'd miss that part yeah. in the, you know, the next on Game of Thrones part, or, like, the next yeah. episode preview. But... Yeah, that that was another big one for me. Is I'm assuming that they're fine, but they didn't really give us that information explicitly. Um, do, do, do you think that Arya could possibly be the princess that was promised? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Like, I feel like Amel's entire story arc was to bring Arya to Winterfell and give her that pep talk. And uh, I don't know. I, she could have been Azor Ahai, at least of the TV show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I they haven't really given us enough links like backstory wise to how that would make sense like in terms of the prophecies that foretell azora high returning right like was she born amid salt and smoke i don't know like yeah (laughs) and how how does all that stuff line up and and the show does a really good job of making us believe certain prophecy and disbelieve others and you can you know read a prophecy one way and think it applies to a certain character but it can also apply to somebody else like there's a lot of that going on and so I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know if there is an Azor High, and that's kind of the big thing for me. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna have an Azor High. That's exactly what it is. Unless, uh, I mean, John and Danny, they're they're having that rift. You know, it seems like Danny cares more about who is gonna be on the throne than winning. You know, John doesn't give a shit. I don't know. There might be some like Cersei might be like the next big bad boss, but. Could the final boss be John versus Danny? <laughs> yeah, it, it's possible. Yeah. Um, getting back to Arya, one other, my last yeah. big unanswered, my last big unanswered question uh, is: What's the history of her Valyrian steel dagger? We know that Bran knows who it belongs to because they had that one moment where he says, "Do you know who this belonged to?" Yeah, uh, but <laughs> I'm wondering if we're going to find out in the final three episodes where that dagger came from, or if right. we're going to have to wait until the spinoff series to find out, which I think is a distinct possibility. Oh, that would be great. Uh, yeah, I think all those daggers, those ancient Valerian steel daggers are actually ancient. And they could be 10,000 years old. And I think the prequels will take place in a long night, which is anywhere from like 5,000 to 10,000 years ago. Well, and there was uh, one but, scene where that dagger showed up in one of the books that Sam was reading at the Citadel. Yes. So we know it's very old. We know that it has history. I'm just curious what that history is. And I'm wondering if we're going to get that information during these last few episodes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, probably. Cool. Uh, anything else big on answer questions, uh, other aspects of episode three you want to talk about, or should we get to our next character to die draft? Next character to die. To All right. Death. <laughs> so I'm just wrecking you so far through six this rounds of picks. Uh, God. to recap, okay. uh, I'm just going to run through your team from pick one to pick six. Uh, you started with Yar Greyjoy, then Beric Dondarrion, then Grey Worm, then Varys, then Gilly, then Jamie Lannister. <laughs> My six picks were Dolores Ed, Theon Greyjoy, Jorah Mormont, Brienne of Tarth, Jan Royce, Podrick Payne. Notice how the first three picks I made are all yeah. dead. They're blued out. Yeah. Yep. 
<laughs> you got five points. You got on a roll. <laughs> right. And so the way we score this is the first correct pick, like first character to die that was correctly picked was worth two points. That was Dolores said because neither of us got Ned Umber from episode one. Uh, then Liana Mormont died. We didn't get any points for that because neither of one of us picked her. Uh, then <laughs> you broke my serve. You had Beric Dondarrion as the yes. next character to die. So you got a point for that. And then I broke your serve with the young Greyjoy next. Uh, so God. that put me up to three points. Yeah. Uh, then the Night King died. Neither of us picked him, which I really regret it because I brought that up last you episode. I was like, what if the Night King dies? Like, it seems like this is a good time to do it. But anyway, yeah. I blew it. I was like, nah, <laughs> no, you got it. You got it right on the nose. <laughs> and then Jorah Marmont was the next character to die. And yeah. so uh, I got a, a bonus point for getting two in a row there. Theon, then Jorah. That, yeah, um, that's so, impressive. Your, your three points were in order, too. So I'm guessing Brienne dies next episode. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be Brienne, then Jan Royce, then Patrick Payne, yep. and so on. Uh, but yeah, Apparently. <laughs> th- there was one other character to die in episode three. That was Melisandre at the very end. Oh, yes. And uh, yeah, so no points awarded there. We're just going to do one round of picks here, and it's an odd-numbered okay. round. So Jeff gets to go first. Uh, again, all the characters we still have that are alive on our list are in play. Like, those are guys are still on our team. Uh, we're just adding to that team and trying to pick the next character to die. And we're at a really interesting spot for the show because if it follows the same pattern that we've been used to for a while, we're probably going to get another kind of build-up. Uh, lots of talking episode is my guess. I don't know if we're going to see many mm-hmm. people get the axe in episode four, but it wouldn't surprise me if one or two did. So... I guess, where are you going to go here, Jeff? You have the first pick, and uh, then I'll get one, and then we'll move on to uh, you know a wrap-up with a few more predictions. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to need uh, several wins in a row. I'm going to need a few three-pointers. Uh, I need three in a row, so I have to pick a very specific, uh, a very specific set of skills. I essentially need Sansa to go bring the the, the veil in and bail my ass out. <laughs> bail my ass out. <laughs> All right. I'm going uh, to take Sir Gregor. Um, Clegane. So, yeah, give me the mountain. He's gonna lose, uh, Clegane Bowl. Mainly, I want to be on the right side of Clegane Bowl. And, uh, there's also another reason why I'm taking this, because I'm gonna extra points later on for next week. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah, no, I like it. He was definitely on my short list of characters to go. Um, I'm gonna go a different direction here. Uh, I am going to pick Tyrion Lannister. I don't feel great about it. I would rather not see Tyrion go. Uh, but my theory is that one of the next kind of plot points that we have to hit is that whole Braun with the crossbow scenario. Yes, and yeah. so I think there's a good chance that Braun is going to be making his way north to try to fulfill, you know, based upon all the gold that Cersei gave him to kill uh, sure. Jamie and Tyrion. And so my thought is that either Braun is going to kill Tyrion or try to kill Tyrion and kill Brienne instead. And so- something's oh. going to put Jamie over the top here and make Jamie <laughs> right. want to kill Cersei. So I, that that's my logic here. That's I where like my it. pick is coming from. <laughs> I, I was wondering about Braun too, um, for sure. I was thinking that I think they're buddies. I don't know. I, I'm thinking Braun last second will just be like, no. Th- that specific line when Tyrion told Braun, like, whatever they pay, whatever they're paying you to kill me, just know I'll pay more. Or just know I'll double it, whatever he said. Yeah, so I think that it, it might be a callback to that and I hope Braun's a good guy. I know the actor came out and said that people are not going to like him this season, so I'm I'm a little worried. <laughs> see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my big question is if Bronn takes out Tyrion or if Bronn takes out Brienne or Jamie or, or whoever, mm-hmm. 
what happens to Braun? Like, I, I would imagine that if, if Braun, you know, gets that crossbow bolt off, he's probably going to die as a result. Uh, so yeah. either he's going to have to become a good guy, you know what I mean, where uh-huh. he's, he basically sells Cersei out, or he's going to uh, he's going to meet his own demise as well. And so sure. uh, I might be telegraphing right. my first so, pick in yeah, the eighth round on the next say, episode. Well, we, so We know who your round eight pick is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I mean, but th- again, that all assumes it doesn't happen in episode four. I, I kind of wish I could make two picks right now, but what we're going to do is we're yeah. going to save we're going to save three rounds of picks for the next show uh, leading up to episode five, which we assume is going to be a big battle uh, at the red keep between, you know, Cersei's forces and John and Danny's forces. So we'll have a lot more picks next week to kind of add to our teams. But this episode, it is just Gregor Clegane for Jeff, uh, the mountain and Tyrion Lannister, the imp for me Uh, with that out of the way, Jeff, any other predictions or theories for season eight, Uh, episode four beyond um, next week on seems to indicate that Euron is going to propose to Cersei. We saw that. Yeah. And so we can expect that to happen. But um, anything else you're looking forward to? Any other theories you want to throw out there? Yeah, you're right. Euron was pretty cozy to Cersei. Like, like they seem to be actually really getting along. Jamie's going to hate that. Well, I think you see <laughs> so, him get down on one knee at one point, too. And maybe that's him just yeah. kneeling. But I, it looked to me like a marriage proposal. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that was weird. And we also saw Danny. It looked like uh, Walter Frey, you know, with... Uh, with all, all the uh, the phrase like doing a cheers, it looked very much like that. I'm very worried about Danny. My theory is uh, Danny is going to turn into Mad Queen. I think she's going to go crazy. I mean, the power is going to get to her head, and I think uh, she'll have her baby and maybe die in childbirth. I don't quite know, but uh, I don't know. I feel like Danny might be the villain of the story. <laughs> I'm still not convinced that the baby thing is real with Cersei. Like, I, I know that Jamie and Tyrion both believe it, but yes. I don't believe it. Yeah, she was drinking. Like it, she specifically didn't drink when she talked to yes. Jamie at the, v- the very last episode of season seven or eight, you know, seven. And yeah, now she was drinking in the first episode. I mean, but Euron specifically said, "I'm going to put a prince in that belly." So I feel like she's using Euron as, uh, you know, just cover for Jamie's kid. I don't know. That's a good question. That's the one. Th- the one thing that would send her overboard is if she does lose her baby, or if she never had it. I don't know. But the only thing she truly cares about is kids. And if she did have a kid and she miscarries, then she's going to go Mad Queen too. <laughs> so it might be a Mad Queen versus Mad Queen in a couple episodes. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that is yeah. kind of one of my bigger questions and something I've been wondering about since last night's episode is where are we going to see that internal conflict again on the Dan and Johnny side? Like, are Dan and Johnny really going to butt heads for the rest of the season? And is it going to get bad? Or are we going to see maybe someone from the Stark camp lash out at Tyrion and Jaime now that, you know, the Great War is over and, hey, let's kill mm-hmm. a, let's kill a Lannister. You know what I mean? Like, screw whatever, you know, happened to this point. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I, I just don't see it. Like, that that battle where they all fought together to defeat the Night King, like, yeah, I would think that that would galvanize all of them just against... Cersei and against For sure. the Golden yeah. Company. Like I, I don't necessarily see those seeds of dissent really sowing much farther. But at the same time, like I think it is possible that we see some infighting still. Yeah, yeah, it would be a little ridiculous. Like, yeah, we just we just literally beat the like the toughest enemy ever. It's all downhill now. And uh, but I'm mad at you. Like, come on. Yeah, they just went through some shit. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I have a few other kind of big lingering questions for the end of the season. Um, are we going to see the reeds again? Howland Reed, Mirror Reed. Hmm. Uh, how about Nymeria? Uh, Arya's yeah. Direwolf. How about the Dornish? Is their army ever going to come north? I have a feeling we might get some last minute heroics from the Dornish at some point. 
Uh, yeah. And then I have a, a weird theory that perhaps Robin Aaron could be taken as a hostage. And I, I guess I want to pose that as a question to you, Jeff. Do you think huh. if the Golden Company wanted to, they could get to Robin Aaron in the veil? Because that's one of the most well-fortified places in the Seven Kingdoms, right. as we've been you know, taught. Uh, but do yeah. you think that it's possible that someone from Cersei's forces could get up there and take Robin Aaron as a hostage? And if they did... Would it matter? <laughs> do, 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 like, do do our heroes care if Robin Aaron is imprisoned? I don't know if they do. No, not really, not really. But just like the crypts being the safest place in the show, they always have to say that it's impenetrable. And Bronn said, "Give me good, good men, and I'll impregnate the bitch." Yep. <laughs> so yeah, um, so yeah, they could take him, and nobody give a fuck because fuck that kid. <laughs> I kind of want him to come out and be like strapping and strong, you know, and like you know, I've been training, but I don't think it's gonna happen. He did drink a lot of milk. <laughs> Chimer gave me some weird potions, and now I'm evil yeah. and, and buff and really burly. <laughs> and buff, right? <laughs> he wears the big breastplate. <laughs> my, oh, man. my last prediction is I don't think we've seen the last of the wildfire yet. I think that at some point yeah. at the down the stretch here, we are going to get another big wildfire explosion. What is that? I don't know. We'll find out. I think the Red Keep. Yeah, they specifically said that it's all under King's Landing, specifically the Red Keep. And Cersei, if she knows it's about to go down, she is not going to let anyone kill her. She might just go down in flames. Although the Jamie strangling prophecy would be nice too. And uh, who do you think kills Jamie? By the way, I have Jamie. I'm just wondering who kills him. <laughs> I mean, who's to say that Jamie's going to die? Oh, that's. I mean, you picked him, so clearly the odds are pretty good that he's going to survive. <laughs> Specifically because of the prophecy, he has to die in the arms of the woman he loves, so Brienne. Which Brienne lives, so I get extra points. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see, the, I see the possibility of Brienne dying as the thing that puts Jamie over the edge to want to kill Cersei. So I, I see that yeah. playing out probably the other way around, where you know Brienne is going to die in his arms, uh, and you know it's going to make him crazy. Mm -hmm. But we will yeah. find out, man. <laughs> I'm so good. I can't believe there's only three more episodes left, man. Oh, yeah, <laughs> greatest story of all time. Please, please, George R. R. Martin, finish one more book. I, I don't need them both, yes. but I, I need to. I need to read a little bit more, man. Like the the show is definitely kind of zooming through a lot of this stuff, and kind of I express my frustrations with some of the aspects of episode three. Uh, season seven was kind of a, a train wreck altogether, yeah. and uh, I would really love to get like the the man, the myth, the legends like take on this because mm -hmm. uh, I, I mean it's it's such a great world he built, and uh, give me yeah. the book, George. I want it. Please, so please, pretty please. Uh, please, do it, you germ. You got this. Don't die. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I, I'm feeling the book might have a completely separate ending than the show. So it feels like D and D are kind of winging most of it. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've heard somewhere that the end game is pretty much the same, or as, as George okay. described it to them early on and, and maybe he'll change his mind if he does ever get around to writing the end uh, uh and he'll yeah. change some stuff up i'm sure there'll be some stuff that's different but yeah yeah sure. anyway uh that's cool. all i got jeff uh anything else on thrones before we sign off no i think i'm good man excited for next week already yeah me too it's gonna be tough to wait it out but we will do it uh valor yeah. Margulis listeners thank you all for listening please rate review subscribe to the show much appreciated uh and until next time adios <laughs>